We are keeping democracy alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. That people don't feel that they can do very much. You know what this is? This is a very Hamiltonian system. Alexander Hamilton being the guy here in a very un-Jeffersonian. In the case of the Republicans, it's dramatically the opposite. Uh, but even in the case of the Democrats. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans in the South. America's fascists are those people who think that Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. We're only seen as a financial sector that's uh, gotten out of hand. The shooting, the violence, that is not the drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. Ah, yes. Good old Lyndon Johnson, the dignity of man. Well, now we have a very, very different president, don't we? One who... uh, We certainly do. Oh, it certainly seems like we have a situation where... Uh, all these different things get thrown out at us and things that are really going to affect the economy and affect our lives that get kind of lost in the shuffle. There's so much out there uh, showing uh, what, uh, you know, what he's all about. But stuff like the banks, what's going on with the banks, what's going on with the economy kind of gets lost in the shuffle. And when he was running for president, Donald Trump over and over again, tried to convince Americans that he would drain the swamp of corruption and get government in Washington to work for the average person's interest and not be beholden to the big banks. He actually said stuff like that. He really did. It was standard populist rhetoric, and apparently Mr. Trump either meant none of it or simply had no idea what he was saying, what they actually meant, what the words meant, with such a truly astounding incompetence pouring forth each and every day, one really doesn't know. Trump slammed the Wall Street reform law known as Dodd-Frank as a disaster recently and vowed to do a big number on it soon. That's his words, of course. He suggested the financial overhaul went too far and he aims to dismantle it. Again, his word. The new president blamed excessive regulation for making it, quote, virtually impossible end of quote, for small and medium-sized businesses to get loans from banks. Sounds like he's trying to help the small business person, the little guy, doesn't it? But critics have said that gutting Dodd-Frank would not only be wrong-headed, but also a betrayal of Trump's campaign promises to rein in Wall Street abuses. After his victory, Federal Reserve Chief Janet Yellen credited financial regulation with making the system safer and sounder and said she wouldn't want to see the clock turn back on Dodd-Frank. Instead of draining the swamp and getting the power of the big banks under control for the common good, in fact, big bank stocks have shot up fast since the election. For example, J.P. Morgan Chase has soared 23% since the victory. Goldman Sachs spiked nearly 30%. Could it be that in direct opposition to his statements otherwise, Trump may actually be doing the bidding of the biggest Wall Street banks and putting the average consumer, American small businesses, and the economy in general in new heightened peril of another meltdown like 2008? 
or a financial regulations unnecessarily holding back the potential for renewal of the American economy, which, if left on its own, free from onerous regulation, would revitalize the process and create many new jobs which are not happening only because of the unfortunate limits slapped on them by the Obama administration. Not that anything like the truth really matters to this president, but our guest today on Keeping Democracy Live, Morris Pearl, is here to help us out and figure out what the reality is. Morris Pearl, thanks so much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Live. Oh, it's great to be on your um, your show. Morris Pearl is chair of something called Patriotic Millionaires, a group which is speaking out in D.C. and across the country, again, President Trump's uh, first attempt to gut uh, financial regulation by reversing fiduciary rules of ethical behavior and taking aim at the Dodd-Frank bill. Before the patriotic millionaires, Morris Pearl was a managing director at BlackRock, one of the largest investment firms in the world. His work included uh, the Maiden Lane transactions and assessing the government's potential losses from bank bailouts in the United States and in Europe. Prior to BlackRock, Pearl had a, a long tenure on Wall Street, where he invented some of the securitization technology connecting America's capital markets to consumers in need of credit. He knows his stuff. He's a member of the New York Society of Securities Analysts and on the board of Verified Voting and the Center of Political Accountability. Well, again, thanks for being with us. Two definitional questions, and this may take a little while. What is Patriotic Millionaires and what is Dodd-Frank? One at a time, obviously. Sure. Sure. The Patriotic Millionaires, I can explain pretty easily. Uh, we have a group of a few hundred wealthy business people, investors from around the country. It was formed in 2010 to urge the president to let the Bush tax cuts expire just for the wealthiest. We had a letter saying that we are the rich people and for the good of the country, we should pay higher taxes. Um, we eventually won that. First, he thought we were kind of dwarfs for attacking from the left. Then he realized we were actually helping him, and um, he invited us to stand with him on the podium when he gave his Buffett World speech in 2012. And since then, we've moved on to a few other issues. Our basic premise is that the system is better for everybody, including the wealthy business people and investors, when everyone is doing well. We don't want to live in a country with a few rich people and lots of poor people because we can't make money in that kind of country. Sure. Um, so that's who the patriotic millionaires are. Um, and then, what is Dodd-Frank? Let me step back a step and think, why do we need to regulate the banks in the first place? The basic thing that a bank does is it gets deposits from consumers, normal people, and then it makes loans. Things like mortgages and car loans and business loans and you know any kind of loans. But sometimes people don't pay back the loans. However good your bank is, sometimes they'll make loans that people will not be able to pay back. If the bank actually ends up losing so much money that it ends up going bankrupt, the government makes the depositors whole, pays back all the money. The depositors put up like 90% of the money in the bank. So the bankers, if you think about it, they have a huge conflict of interest. Because if they make very risky loans that pay high interest, then, if they do well, which they often do, the bankers will make lots of money. If they do poorly, which sometimes happens, the taxpayers will take all the loss, or most of the loss. 
So that's why we need to regulate banks, because they have an incentive to make the riskiest possible loans, because they get the benefit of that risk, and the taxpayers bear, all the, bear most of the risk of things going badly. So that's why we need to regulate banks. <clears throat> we don't want, our country doesn't want banks to fail. And the regulators really have two different issues. On the one hand, you definitely don't want banks to fail. You don't want more taxpayer bailouts like we had in 2008 with some of the banks. Most people think that's really bad. On the other hand, you do want banks to make loans. So there's two different goals of the regulators. One is make sure the banks do not fail. And the other is you want banks to make loans to keep the economy going. So they kind of have two different goals they're trying to impose. What happened with Dodd-Frank is that they made more regulations in a few specific areas. They made the loan. Part of the cause of the financial crisis was that banks made loans that people weren't able to pay back. And eventually, a lot of people lost a lot of money in things like subprime mortgages and also commercial mortgages and other things. So they made some new regulators to put some rules in place lowering the risk of banks. Lowering risk means not making risky loans. Not making risky loans means it's harder to get a loan if you're a marginal credit, like a lot of real estate developers who are friends of Mr. Trump are. So yeah, it is harder to make, it is harder to get loans. If you right now want to borrow money from a bank to buy, say, a small office building to rent out someplace, it's a lot more difficult than it was in 2007 or 2008. That is true. Mr. Trump is right about that. The question is, is yes. that good or bad? I think that's where we have a very much of a difference of opinion. My goodness. Well, thank you for uh, explaining that. And I'm sure there are some people who feel like, well, just let the banks do whatever the heck they want, you know, and that that would be good for the economy. But uh, we, we've seen that that doesn't really work. What are the arguments being put forth, mostly by Republicans, probably not even all Republicans, really, as to why Dodd-Frank yeah. is so onerous? Well, it does have a lot of regulations. Regulations mean that regulators have power. So that means that a lot of people who are employed by the government who are allowed to go tell the bankers what to do, or at least ask them tough questions on what they're doing. And bankers don't like lots of people want to walk going into their office and telling them what to do. <laughs> there are tens of thousands of pages of regulations. About a third of them aren't even finalized yet. And they're prohibited from doing certain things. Banks are no longer allowed to have like hedge funds inside of the banks like they used to. That was a big way that a few of the biggest banks, just a few, made a lot of money, like Goldman Sachs, for instance. They had to close down um, a significant part of their business. Um, and then there's this whole Consumer Financial Protection Bureau right. that was that Mr. Frank and Mr. Dodd sort of insulated from politics a little bit by making it funded independently by fees paid by the banks. The Republicans, of course, think that's absolutely horrendous because now when their people come to them and complain about consumer protection, typically these are people running shady kinds of, mm -hmm. of, um, of loan-type loan businesses, you know, 
um, payday lenders and the like. Right. They complain to the Congress people, and the Congress people have very little power over the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau because they don't set its budget. Most of these regulatory agencies are very indebted to the Congress because their budget gets set by the Congress every year. So they kind of have to be very deferential to the Congress people and their constituents. I see. And they, you know, they don't like being told what to do. And I, I can just imagine, you know, they'd rather uh, have no regulations whatsoever uh, and just be loan sharks, I suppose. But we don't have loan sharks. We have banks these days. So because every every banker thinks he's doing a good job. Hmm. Every banker thinks he's smarter than everyone else. Yeah. He's found some way to make money that other people just don't see because they're stupid. <laughs> Whereas really, if you're making more money than most people, you're doing something, taking some kind of risk in, in the banking business. Well, that's true. But, and, and, but risk... Well, why does risk have to be minimized for the good of, of the taxpayer? Let's just ask about that and, and take a look at, uh, you know, how perhaps maybe this will lead into the question, how do the proposed changes of doing away with Dodd-Frank or adjusting it might affect regular taxpayers in good years and in bad years? Well, in good years, when the economy is expanding and, and, more, and prices of real estate are going up, then everyone's making money. Everyone's happy. The banks are doing great. But every once in a while, there is a bad year. And there will be, again, someday a bad year. The Bible tells us there were seven bad years after seven good years. So once sooner or later, we will hit another bad year. Then some of these loans won't be paid back. And the banks that were doing the most of the riskier loans, the most profitable ones, some of them will fail. Mm. And... The depositors, by our system here in America with the FDIC, the depositors were made whole by the taxpayers because some of these banks, I mean, we do not allow people that to just lose the money in their bank accounts because the bank uh, screwed up. So that's why the taxpayers are ultimately at risk for all of you. We are talking about uh, the banks, the Trump administration, which is still at this moment in power. Who knows how long it will last? Uh, with uh, uh, Morris Pearl, chair of Patriotic Billionaires, we're talking about what Trump and at least some Republicans are trying to do with uh, rolling back uh, the Dodd-Frank law. Are the are taxes on businesses not currently too high and restricting economic growth unnecessarily? And does this have anything to do with, with the effects of Dodd-Frank? Well, I think that's a separate issue. Of course, Republicans yeah. always want to get rid of taxes that they pay. Right. They believe that only like working Americans who get paid by the hour should pay taxes, and that you know <laughs> companies and real estate developers should not. Right. But putting that <laughs> aside, funny. taxes for businesses like banks are a percentage of profits. So if a business has a tax rate of 35% and they spend an additional dollar on salaries for workers, say, then the owners only, it only decreases the owner's, owner's actual profit by 65 cents because they pay a dollar more in salaries, they pay 35 cents less in taxes. So taxes actually incentivize the business to spend more money as opposed to True. accumulating it all for the owners. Mm -hmm. If there were no taxes, there'd be less of an incentive to spend money. Um, so I don't think taxes are holding things back at all, because if business that's not making profits doesn't pay taxes at all. 
And a business that does make profits pays a certain percentage of those profits as taxes, a higher percentage for bigger businesses and a, or a higher percentage for higher profits. Mm-hmm. So if they're net you know, if they're netting a certain profit, then they pay more taxes. So again, it's in their interest to uh, to reinvest in the company and to uh, pay uh, workers, uh, people who work there, even more. So, I like, it'd be like asking a worker, well, because you pay taxes, don't you not have any incentive to get a raise? Well, no, the worker would still rather have a raise, even though he, even though he pays taxes anyway. Right, of course they do. Uh, now, Dodd Frank yeah. came about in reaction to the meltdown of two thousand eight. We, uh, you know, at the time, the taxpayers bailed out the big banks. There was a lot of discussion, disagreement. Should the taxpayers be bailing out the big banks? The the notion of too big to fail was put out there, and you know, what what might the had it not been for the intervention by the Obama administration. What might the meltdown have looked like? And again, you know, maybe there's a lot of people, including myself, you know, not real clear on these things in terms of bailing out the banks and Dodd-Frank. I guess they're two related but separate issues because we bailed out the banks. But then to make sure we wouldn't have to bail them out again, Dodd-Frank came about. Is that somewhat accurate? Yeah. I mean, the, basically the idea of Dodd-Frank was to avoid another having this ever happen again, right. that there'd be a need to bail out the banks. You know, like Citibank, for instance, had a huge bailout from the government. It, didn't, it ended up not actually costing the government any money, but the government did step in and guarantee a lot of Citibank's, um, you know, sort of guarantee that Citibank would not fail for some period of time. Um, and, and it went on and did not, and indeed did not fail him. Um, so that was good for the taxpayers. But still, it was an enormous intervention, and an enormous amount of taxpayer money was put at risk. Citibank, AIG, and a variety of banks from all over the world were put under government control and at government risk for some period of time, at various costs to the taxpayers. Mm-hmm. And, like... What would have happened if, say, Citibank went out of business? Right. The FDIC would have had to make all the depositors whole. Hmm. But it would have been just the enormous inconvenience of every company, every municipality, every all these different people that deal with it. And it would have affected every other bank because the banks have all these interconnections and things. One of the things that was done with Dodd-Frank is requiring each bank to each large bank to have a set procedures for what, how they could unwind themselves from other banks if they were fa- if they were to fail, called a living will kind of thing. I think. I mean, I don't know what would have happened if the government, if the government officials had made a different decision. They, in good faith, thought they made the best decisions they could, and they, I mean, they certainly thought that. Um, you know, what would have happened if the government had let the had let more banks fail? I honestly don't know. Um, a lot of people think it would have been. A complete breakdown of civil authority. Well, there'd be no money to pay the electric bill. The electric companies would out of business. There'll be no electricity. Be, you know, people thought everything from nothing would go on to a complete breakdown of civilization, and we'd be back in the Stone Age. Um, you know, probably the truth is somewhere in between. Um, the officials that were in the government at the time, this is the late days of the George W. Bush administration, uh, did not want to take that chance and did, want, did not want to find out the hard way. And, um, 
they made the decisions they did. Um, you know, Hank Polson, when he was the Secretary of the Treasury under George W. Bush, um, decided that other than Lehman, that banks would that most of the other big banks would not be allowed to fail. Right, because well, that notion of too big to fail again—it's you know somewhat controversial, but we do depend on that, and it does seem. You know, I'm I'm wondering if some of the people advising Trump, uh, the people who are actually thinking about this, are, are thinking that uh, that uh, you know that we should just let the big banks do whatever they want, and you know that that, that the government has no business in protecting the economy for the rest of the people, which seems absolutely nuts to me. But maybe you know some of their logic. Do, do you think that's what they're thinking? Well, we made some dis- well, what they think is the best way to prevent banks from failing is for the banks to make lots of profits, make higher profits. The best way to make higher profits is to get rid of regulations uh-huh. so they can just lend money to everyone uh-huh. and collect lots of interest. So I mean, there is some perverse logic there. If they make lots of risky loans, in most years they will make more profits. That's true. If they make more profits, they're less likely to fail. Well, that's true also. Um, it just means that on those unusual years, when they actually do fail, things will be that much worse. Right. Um, so the taxpayers have an interest in preventing them from failing in the first place, even if, even if that prevention means they have to make less profits in the good years. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I mean, I kind of think that's where the logic is coming from. Um, and it's in a kind of perverse way. I understand what they're thinking, yeah. and Trump is being advised by people, you know, for like Gary Cohn, who was the president of Goldman Sachs until a few weeks ago. Um, you know, he knows exactly how his bank works, and he thinks there's absolutely no possibility of it failing, and he's probably right. That'd be an extremely unusual event, but, um, you know, who knows what will actually happen, and the, the taxpayers and the government have an interest and if a bank is too big to fail, of not letting it fail. The same reason the government has an interest in the electric utilities, you know, not letting them fail. The, the, you know, you depend on electricity. A lot of people depend on electricity for their, you know, some for life and death things. So the electric company is not allowed to do risky things that might cause it to fail. And people depend on the banks still being around in almost as much as they depend on electricity. And so the government has a role in making sure that banks do not fail. And that's the basic premise of Dodd-Frank. I mean, there's a lot of things in Dodd-Frank. But one of its basic premise is making banks not do risky things that even have a small chance of causing them to go bankrupt and then have to be bailed out by the taxpayers again. Yeah, and I, I wonder what incentives there would be now for preventing this kind of thing. If If a bank knows it can make these subprime loans, loans to people who it's really iffy. They really can't afford the homes that they're in, but the banks mix them in with with uh, healthier loans. Without Dodd-Frank, without some regulations, the banks, I would think, don't have any incentive not to use, uh, just say, oh, well, we can make these gambles, we can make these bad, bad loans, the subprime loans to people who can't afford it, and the taxpayers will, will bail us out and la-di-da. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, 
even when you do make bad loans, a lot of people do pay off their loans. Just not oh. enough people to make it profitable. Um, you know, the, the whole one of the issues with banks is when they when they when the bank lends you money on a mortgage, chances are the bank owns that mortgage for only a few weeks or hmm. even less. Right, because they you sell know, back off. in the nineteen seventies, banks lent mortgages, took in deposits. Then all of a sudden, interest rates went up and up and up and up very quickly in the Jimmy Carter administration. Oh, yeah. They were all of a sudden losing money because they're paying out more in deposit and collecting in mortgages. And the regulators come and say, ah, this doesn't work very well. You guys are really good at making mortgages. You guys are really good at dealing with the homeowners, but you're not very good at owning them for 30 years. Mm. So why don't you make the mortgages and then sell them to somebody else, right. like insurance companies or long-term right. investors. You want to hold them for 30 years. And that's where this whole securitization thing came along. Right. Now they realize, oh, if we're not holding them, it doesn't really matter <laughs> if the homeowners can pay them back or not. <laughs> and it took them a while to come to that realization. But over the course of a decade or two, they just people started being a lot less careful because it turned out nobody really cared. You know, and for a long time, through the 1980s, house prices were still going up and up and up and up. So if somebody couldn't make his mortgage payments, they could, he could sell his house and move into a rental, and they even make a small profit usually, because the house price had gone up during the time he wasn't making the payments. Um, and that worked great, you know, until it didn't work at all. Um, you know, in 2006, people, all of a sudden, house prices stopped going up. People with these adjustable mortgages, right. the rates were going up, they were planning to refinance, couldn't, yeah. and that's essentially was the beginning of the crisis. Do we know what caused the... I mean, I'm sure there were a number of factors, and there's been debate and discussion about uh, about how much the, uh, the Glass-Steagall bill, how much uh, repeal of that by President Bill Clinton exacerbated the situation. And I wonder, you know, some people have called for reinstating Glass-Steagall, uh, including uh, uh, my candidate, uh, Bernie Sanders, and other people even on the right have called for reinstating Glass-Steagall. Is that something that the Trump administration is discussing at all now? Or is that you? It sounds like you, your experience would, would uh, shine a light on this as to how much of a factor it really was or if the Dodd-Frank regulations, just making sure that the, that the loans were you know, sensible uh, loans and decent regulations. Was that, would that correct it, or, or do we need to reinstate Glass-Steagall? Well, um, well, first, I have no idea what the people in the Trump administration are thinking. That would require mind reading, which I don't do. Mm-hmm. Um, on Glass-Steagall, basically what that did is saying there's two kinds of banks, commercial banks, which take deposits and lend money, and investment banks, which have nothing to do with commercial banks, they basically help companies that when they want to do public offerings and they advise on mergers and acquisitions and they buy and sell securities when companies want to issue new securities. Um, glass and glass steel required that a bank be either one or the other, but not both. Right. Now right. banks like JP Morgan and Citi and um, those and the others can do both at the same time. So they're both running commercial banking operations. They take in deposits and make, Home, home mortgages and commercial mortgages and other kinds of loans, and they want a securities operation. And so the securitization of the mortgages, they're right. doing sort of both sides of the, of, the, of the deal at the same time. 
I think it has exacerbated the situation because it allows banks to create these companies to actually issue the mortgage-backed securities inside of their own companies. And it, it has, um, it, it, yes, I mean, if we had Glass-Steagall, a lot of the things that were, some of the things that were happening which caused more risk in the system, mm-hmm. which caused, you know, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae to get into trouble, would not have been able to happen. So, yes, I, I think that, I think that getting rid of Glass-Steagall was part of the cause of the problem. But basically, I think the problem was people, people investing in things that had more risk than they thought or that yes. they had any reason to believe because the people making the decisions and the people investing the money were so far apart that they weren't actually thinking together because banks were issuing mortgages and then creating these mortgage-backed securities the investors who were investing in them knew nothing about them. Mm. They might have been like some school district right. someplace sure. that really weren't an investment experts, right. but investing in things because they were AAA rated. Right. And so I think because the responsibility was so dispersed between the investors and the banks and the actual lenders that no one along the chain really had responsibility for making sure this was a good, this was working well. And so, yes, I think that that the that lessening of those regulations did contribute to the problem. Yeah, wow. We're talking about complex issues here, but things that affect you and me, whether or not we have anything to do with any big banks, the uh, Trump administration is uh, trying to roll back Dodd-Frank. And I wonder, what what's the status of that now? I mean, they have their plate full for so many things. They're just putting out so many things, figuring people won't pay attention. I mean, there's the whole issue of net neutrality, which I'd love to talk about some other time as well, that's getting lost in the shuffle. What, what What's the status with... With, with the uh, legislation right now, are they just still talking about it? And how much legs does it have? How strong do you think it is? Do people in Congress, I mean, they don't seem to usually have, pardon me for insulting them, great understanding of everything that they're doing, but they just listen to the powers and the money that's behind them. So I wonder if you could talk about the, the legislative status right now and, again, what Patriotic Millionaires is trying to do about that and how much success you guys may be having. Yeah, I don't really know what the status is. Um, the people who are really want to get rid of it are not the people that talk to me, you know, uh, on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> True. But they seem pretty definitive. I mean, Trump has gone out and said that government regulations are the cause of all of your problems. Right. Um, and, you know, he said he knows, he knows lots of good people who are unable to get loans, as he said, you know, at the beginning of the show. So he's trying to convince the American people the American public, that regulations on banks are causing their difficulties, and they're just letting the banks do whatever they want will solve all of their problems and allow them to get better jobs. Um, and if he convinces them, you know, if he convinces most of the American populace, then he'll probably succeed mm. in getting rid of Dodd-Frank. Um, and it will seem like a great idea, because, you know, it's not going to cause banks to crash in the first day. You know, there was decades between the time that the, um, mm-hmm. the between the time that the, that um, the Glass-Steagall Act was repealed and the time that there was a financial crisis. Right, like twenty years. Um, yeah. We just increased the risk in the system. Yeah. But long after you know, the administration has left, most likely. 
Um, so I, mean, I don't really know what's going to happen. I think what we're trying to do yes. at our group, the Patriotic Millionaires, is to just make the point that what the country needs is a certain sense of fairness. And fairness to the taxpayers, too. Not just fairness to the real estate developers who are trying to borrow a lot of money to develop more real estate. Hmm. Um, so that's basically what our message is. We don't want to live in a country with a few rich people and lots of poor people. We want to live in a country where everyone sort of can participate in our economy and in excuse me, and in the civic life of our nation. So, you know, are we going to succeed? I don't know, because, you know, Trump has kind of convinced, you know, more or less half the population of the country that um, that the government's against them is to get rid of the government and let the banks, Mm. you know, the banks and big businesses make all the decisions. Maybe he'll succeed. It's just... It, it's so incredibly scary. And I think about, as you were saying, you know, school districts, for example, you know, they, they and perhaps not a lot of people know this, but part of your state and local taxes, you pay for uh, infrastructure improvements, things like that. And they borrow money and the, the bonding, you know, relates to the big banks as well. And so if the big banks uh, are are losing money all of a sudden because they make bad loans, because they don't have regulations, they don't have restrictions, that can, doesn't that have the possibility of affecting your local taxes as well that are seemingly unrelated to it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, think about what happened in Orange County, California, when they got too involved with some crazy banking deals, or in Shelby County, Alabama, you know, when, the, when a thing called the Sewer Commission I mean, I never even heard of a sewer commission before. But they had a sewer commission. They got involved in interest rate swaps and lost more money than they had. Um, so I think there's a lot of a lot of danger of local and state entities, which are not regulated at all, by the way, mm-hmm. of getting involved in these financial transactions and potentially losing money. You know, for pretty much the state and local governments borrowing money is exempt from all regulation in the SEC because they're assumed to be highly intelligent or the bankers need to do more deals with them one or the other. Um, so, yeah, that is something I'm, con- I'm strongly concerned about, is all the state and local governments that get involved right. in, you know, complex financial transactions and end up losing money. Oh, and it could just... It's, it's hard to really imagine that a, a new federal government could be so... Uh, simple as to, you know, want to replace a Republican form of government, that is a government that serves the common good, Republic of the people, with a simple, as you were saying, how we really don't want just a few super wealthy people and everybody else poor. But I I don't know. I mean, it just seems like they, they just, I wonder if it could be as crass as that the Trump administration really wants to just kowtow to the big financial industry to hell with consumer protection. Could it be that straightforward? Or I just, it's so hard to imagine. You know, I don't even know if it's kowtowing. I think from the point of view, if you're in a real estate business, you think it's perfectly logical that there's one rich guy who owns lots and lots of apartment buildings and everyone else lives in the apartment buildings and pays rent to the one rich guy. That seems like a perfectly normal way to run things to you. 
and exactly how you think should things should be run. Um, I don't even think he sees it as kowtowing. I think he sees it more as, I mean, I think he believes what his friends tell him because the bankers say, oh, I'd love to lend you all this money, but the regulator won't let me. And I think he believes that, and maybe it's true sometimes. But he says, oh, just get rid of the regulators. And the banks can lend lots of money, and I don't really care if they, right. the banks get paid back or not because that doesn't really affect me one way or the other. And <laughs> that's what I think is actually most likely what people are thinking. Wow. The callousness is just astounding. But, you know, before the election, I, I talked to people who were more familiar with Donald Trump, the businessman, than I certainly was. And a lot of people who are familiar with his history in business, in real estate, in development, have known for a long time about his ethics, his scamming, his stealing, his lying, his using workers, his feathering his own nest. I I wonder, I mean, people didn't know about this. I wonder if this new initiative to roll back Dodd-Frank might just be consistent with that reputation. And if so, how do you think? Well, yeah, it's completely consistent <laughs> because people, I mean, if you believe that sort of cheat, get, getting away with cheating people is the way to succeed, then of course you don't want a consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and of course you don't uh. want banks regulated. You know, the the billionaires, they can make sure their loan documents are exactly what they want, and everyone else, well, they can just do whatever the banks want them to do, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, that seems consistent with me. If you're in the business of kind of ripping people off, <laughs> then, yeah, you're against regulation, because that prevents you from doing what you think is a normal way to run your business. And I expect that the Trump people have been running their business that way, sort of not paying people and then sort of getting away with it by arguing with them and just sort of being obstinate. Yeah. But they see that as perfectly normal. They think that's how you get rich. And everyone else who just pays their bills on time, well, they're the fools. Mm. And maybe they'll prove that they're right. Oh, my goodness. What about Republican members of Congress? Do you, I mean, I know this is fairly early in the game, and uh, it's sort of a curse to be, a, uh, you know, ahead of my time here and focusing in on these things. But, you know, a lot of these Republicans who are in there, I mean, they, they cite, for example, Ronald Reagan as kind of a saint. He's always cited as the conservative's conservative, a successful president who steered the economy well. The impression today, right or not, I think is that Wall Street did well, in his terms as president in the 1980s, the national economy also did well. One, is this accurate? And two, what do you think Reagan might say to his fellow Republicans about what Trump is up to targeting Dodd-Frank as he is? Well, if, Ray, if Ronald Reagan was alive and well today, he would have to run as a Democrat because he, he, there's no way he could win a Republican primary for anything because he's way to the left of the Republicans, and frankly, he's probably the left of some of the Democrats. Democrats, too. Um, he believed in things like interstate highways. You know, he believed yes. in things like tank regulation. Yes. Um, you know, he, he was relatively bipartisan in some of the things that he did for running the country. Amazing. Um, we may have disagreed with him on a, lo you know, on a lot of important issues, but I don't think we disagree on the fundamental idea of what the role of government is supposed to be. Um, well, 
so yeah, I think things have changed so much since then that I think people have forgotten what Ronald Reagan actually did. Hmm. There were regulations back then? Well, certainly Glass-Steagall was in Yeah, effect. I mean, mo- well, yes. I mean, rock. Even, even people... Um, even people like Jeff Sessions, hmm. back before he ran for office, he was a federal prosecutor, and he prosecuted bankers of all people. So, um, you know, even he was familiar with this back in the day. Um, so, yeah, I think that the country has moved so far to be against the government, and Ronald Reagan invented some of that. Yes. Um, but I think that... Um, I think, frankly, it's moving too far. I think we have to convince people or explain to people that actually working together, working through this, this working together is what we call having a government, that's actually good. We actually should be doing things collectively. This country was formed, originally we called our states commonwealths. Yes, commonwealths, absolutely. Contract with the Commonwealth of Massachusetts or right. Virginia, if you want to. Right. And there's a reason for that because we had to do things together. And collective action, well, the what will we? The word for collective doing things collectively is government. That just means the people doing things in a collective way together. And certain things have to be done together. Um, now, maybe if you're a billionaire, you don't need so much of that. Mm. But most people. They can't build their own roads. They can't figure out how their financial system should be regulated, even if they want to or not. So most people depend on some governments to help them do things in some collective action. And that's most people used to think that's good. Well, I guess. And there's that old notion of laissez-faire, you know, just let the free market do what it wants, no regulations. Well, certain. Certain things don't work that way. Right. If you go to the grocery store and you see like ice cream for $20 a pint, you can decide to spend the $20 and try it, see if it's a really good ice cream. Hmm. And you can, you can afford to blow 20 bucks on fancy ice cream, and you might like it, you might not, but you're not going to be afraid it's going to kill you because you know there's a Food and Drug Administration that has rules about safety for products like that. And so at worst, you might blow $20 on normal ice cream. But if you're buying insurance for your car, or your house, or something, which you know you probably need some kind of insurance, yeah. you can't evaluate the insurance company and decide, oh, this insurance company has higher-priced insurance, but they're less likely to go out of business because they invest the money more securely. This other company has lower costs, but has more risk. You can't. There's no way you could possibly evaluate the insurance company for the riskiness of how they invest the money in between the time you pay the premiums and time you send in a claim. True. So you need a government insurance commissioner or somebody to do that for you. You can't possibly do it yourself. Hmm. That's why we need certain companies to be regulated. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if, if Trump really ran as a complete anarchist, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I, maybe people would vote for that. I don't know. I'm, you know, still a little bit surprised at it. So, yeah, I, and, and someone when, has to represent anarchists. What? Someone has to represent the anarchist country. <laughs> suppose. Yeah. Well, we got, uh, Steve Bannon there. Oh my goodness. Right. 
uh, and just in case, uh, for those who just tuned in, Bert Cohen here on Keeping Democracy Alive. Our guest is Morris Pearl, chair of Patriotic Millionaires. They're speaking out in D.C. and across the country against President Trump's first attempt to gut financial regulation by reducing rules and regulations and kind of attacking Dodd-Frank. One thing that you know, we heard about with the 2000 crisis was something called derivatives, the derivatives market. What role did that play in the 2000 crisis? What is it, and, and is it addressed uh, in Dodd-Frank? Well, well, I don't think it played a huge role in causing the crisis. The issue with derivatives regulation is really that historically there have been some derivatives being used by farmers in the to hedge their farming crops. For instance, if you're a farmer, you're growing corn or wheat or soybeans, you can make a deal ahead of time on the price that you'll sell your corn or wheat or your soybeans at. So you don't have to, you know, at the last minute, maybe the guy who's buying them will give you a lower price or a higher price. You don't have to take that risk. You can make a deal for the price, you know, in the springtime when you plant the crops and not have to take a risk. That's fine. Um, so the agriculture, so the the there's a the agriculture committee in Congress oversees the um, CFTC, the Commodities and Future Trading um, Commission, um, which regulates derivatives. Nowadays, though, most derivatives are financial derivatives, options on stocks and bonds, and futures on stocks and bonds. Mostly, stocks and bonds are overseen by the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC. However, we have to have derivatives overseen by the CFTC, and in my personal opinion, that's so that two sets of Congress people can each insist that people in the financial business come to their fundraisers and pay them lots of donations. So we have the Agriculture Committee that oversees the CFTC that has certain authority, the Banking Committee that oversees the SEC that has other authority, and the two kind of don't mesh. It's been sort of a issue with regulators for years that there should be one thing that oversees these financial derivatives. Um, but no, Congress has never seen fit to uh, make that change. And so that's kind of the issue I see with derivatives is sort of the regulation thereof is sort of spread around. And I think, I personally believe you can trace a lot of that problem to the issues of money and politics and how mm. people are used to getting their donations from the people that are regulated by the regulators they oversee. <laughs> yeah, it seems to so often come back to money and politics and who our government works for. And I was thinking about, you know, since even before the Constitution, the debate, the discussion, the compromises have been about the banking system, who it works for. Does it, should it support the common good, which I think most of us think it should, or... You know, maybe just the, uh, it seems like a very old idea, plutocracy, that the Trump administration might just simply want to benefit his super rich buddies. That's who he's stacking his administration with, you know, and just transforming us from a Republican form of government to a, a plutocracy, an oligarchy. I, I, I wonder if it could be that simple or... I mean, it seems like, no, it can't really be like that. But I, I'd almost think that's giving the Trumps too much credit. <laughs> you know, never sort of attribute to malice what could be just simple stupidity. Right, right. Um, you know, I think they just don't even think about it at all. 
so I won't even say that they think about it in an evil way. I think it's more a not thinking about it. But yeah, as you said, you can go back to the debates between Jefferson and Hamilton. It's not so much the role of what they want the role of banks to be, but what they, whether there should be a role of government yes. in regulating the banks. You could have a country, as a lot of small countries are, where the government has no role at all in banking. You know, there are, you know, like the smaller countries in Europe, um, hmm. you know, they, they don't have, they don't even have central banking because they use the euro, which they don't really have to do with. But the United States, you know, issues its own currency, the, dollar, the U.S. dollar, and has traditionally been involved in regulating the economy by use of the central bank, the, the financial system regulators, the U.S. Treasury, all these institutions have been dedicated, at least in part, towards making the country work well for people in general. And, um, and Trump has somehow convinced people that, no, that's actually a bad idea, that everyone should just be in it for themselves. And yeah. you, know, you shouldn't have help from the government. Absolutely amazing. It's so hard to believe we're even talking about this this way in all seriousness, but this is yeah. reality. Um, I just it want, it, it's absolutely amazing. If the Trump administration, maybe the Bannon administration, I don't know, got its way, what, what can you paint a picture? I mean, I, I, I hesitate to ask because it'd be kind of ugly and nightmarish, but how, what do you think it would look like if they indeed rolled back or did away with the you know, some of the important regulations of Dodd-Frank, how would it affect the average citizen, do you think? And I, you know, I often wonder if, if people who voted for Trump, when they're going to get it. Well, frankly, how would it affect the average citizen? A few little things would affect the average citizens. The, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has established some rules about payday lending and loan sharking and things like that. But the average person most people are not involved in payday lending and loan charge anyway, only a few million people in the whole country. And some people be able to get loans who couldn't get loans now. And people who mm. can get mortgages after filling out lots and lots of forms will have, could get loans with filling out fewer forms. If the, gov- the, gov- the banks will no longer have to abide by regulations about checking their income and stuff like that. So in the short term, it'll look fine. Oh, people will be able to get more mortgages. People will get more car loans. People will get more payday loans. People will get more pawn shop loans and every other kind of loan. But eventually, it'll take a few years, oh, but eventually right. people, some people will not pay off the loans, and some of these companies will out of business, and then there'll be this huge debate. Oh, my God, we can't have the banks failing, going out of business, then we'll all lose out. And Oh, but... We can't bail out banks. We don't bail out banks anymore. That's you know, mm. only the Bush administration did that. So it'll, in the short term, getting rid of these regulations won't harm people. Or just like in the short term, if people deregulated their insurance company, it wouldn't make any difference to you at all because you're not, you know, you, you don't mm. know what the insurance company's doing anyway. But in the long term, yeah, I think it'd be a bad thing for the country and the taxpayers to deregulate all the banks. Well, people ra- rarely look at the long term, and that that concerns me a little bit, quite frankly. And you know, there's That's not true. There's there's not a lot of public awareness of of what's going on with Dodd Frank, and what they're trying to do. What what needs to be done now? What can listeners do with regard to this whole effort to roll back Dodd Frank and to just you know turn the big banks loose uh, with no regulations? Well, look, I mean. 
the people in the Congress, the Senate, the House of Representatives, the President, I mean, they can do what they want in the short term. But in the long term, let me refer you to what President Lincoln said. He was the first Republican elected president. Yes. In this age, in this country, public sentiment is everything. With it, nothing can fail. Against it, nothing can succeed. Whoever molds public sentiment goes deeper than you enact statutes or pronounces judicial decisions. I think that's still right today. If the people who are against this can be organized, mm. at least enough to get public sentiment on their side, then, yeah, something can happen. I think these people in Congress, they are responsive to public sentiment overall. You know, they somehow got the public to think that Obamacare was a terrible thing. And people have thought that ever since. And a lot of people, you know, that has affected elections and voting ever since. So I think that if, if the people who think this is a bad idea can have public sentiment on their side or these perceived public sentiment on their side, then that can have an influence on government. Hmm. So people do have to kind of educate themselves a little bit on this. And it's, it's hard to ask uh, people to do that. Well, how can they... I mean, not everybody listening. That's why, talking to, that's why I'm talking to you, because lots of people listen to your show, and hopefully we'll get a few more people on our side. How can people, I mean, there must be resources to which you can point them. I mean, not everybody is a millionaire, though I imagine most people are somewhat patriotic anyway. What, what website can you point them to and information they can get and how they can, kind of maybe simpler things they can say to their member of Congress? We have lots of information on our website, patrioticmillionaires.org. We'd be happy to sign people up for more information even. Uh, We have booklets. We have available PDF files on our website. I think people can say to their Congress, Congress people, that no, we did not send you to Congress to let the big banks run rampant over the little guys. We did not send you to Congress because we're against consumer protection. We did not send you to Congress because we think that the big banks and big companies should not be regulated. We send you to Congress to help get jobs for people in America, and that deregulating banks does not do that. Um, and I think they have to remind the Congress people of that over and over and over again, because the Congress people spend a lot of time with lobbyists or donors, <laughs> and true. there's more donors from banks who want to make more profit than there are from regular people who depend on banks for one reason or another. I think that's, you know, it comes back to money and politics. But it, I think, he, so the people have to be as sort of visible to their Congress people as yes. the donors are, and they have to spend a lot of time with their donors. And I can tell you that's the fact. <laughs> they do. And, you know, no matter how much money, they still need every single vote. And the actions, you know, we're learning from the Tea Party that, you know, if you keep after your member of Congress, you, you keep keep after him or her, it absolutely can make a difference. Morris Pearl, thank you yeah. so much for being with us today and explaining this uh, somewhat complex uh, bowl of spaghetti. Thank you. Thank you very much. Great to be in your show. Thank you. Hopefully we can uh, work on the economy here and uh, look at the big picture. Make the government work for us. What a concept. Thank you for listening. <laughs>